from the tree of life. First Chronicles 22, verses 1 through 16. Then David said, This is the place where Adonai, the house of Adonai Elohim, will be, along with the altar for burnt sacrifices for Israel. David gave orders to assemble the foreigners in the land of Israel and assigned them to be masons, to quarry stones, to build the house of God. David supplied an abundance of iron for nails for the doors of the gates and the joints, and so much bronze that it could not be weighed, and cedar logs without number. For the Zidians and the Tyrans brought an abundance of cedar logs to David. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for Adonai must be exceedingly magnificent, for uh, famous and glorious throughout all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build the house for Adonai, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of Adonai, my God. But the word of Adonai came to me saying, you have shed much blood and fought many battles. You will not build a house for me, for my name, because you have shed much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son will be born to you, he will be a man, and he will be a man at rest. I will give him rest from all of his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will confer shalom and quietness on Israel in his days. He will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his royal throne over Israel forever. Now, my son, may Adonai be with you, and may you succeed in building the house of Adonai, your God, as he spoke concerning you. Only may Adonai give you insight and understanding when he gives you charge over Israel, so that you may observe the Torah of Adonai, your God. Then you will prosper if you carefully observe the statutes and the ordinances that Adonai commanded Moshe concerning Israel. Hazak, and be courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Now behold, with great pain, I have provided for the house of Adonai 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond wane, for there is so much of it. I have also prepared wood and stone, and you must add to them. Moreover, have an, you have an abundance of workmen, stone cutters, masons, carpenters, and every time of type of craftsman, skilled in every type of material, in gold, silver, bronze, and iron, beyond number, 
arise and work. May Adonai be with you. Thank you, Paula. As I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, I uh, wanted to bring you up to speed on the conference, actually the symposium that uh, Elaine, Dr. Dallaire and I went to um, in New York City a couple weeks ago. And uh, this was a collection of um, papers that were read by uh, a an audience of Messianic Jews um, about the Middle East conflict. And uh, as well, we had a number of uh, Arab representatives, including one fellow who lives in Bethlehem who describes himself not so much as Arab but as Palestinian. So you can see that with that kind of a collection, the notion of having anything remotely resembling unity uh, would have to be done by Almighty God. Um, but what I found interesting is that despite the fact that this is a very hot topic um, and there are lots of very strong feelings about the Middle East, particularly for us who support Israel and, um, and care for God's plan for the nation of Israel and for the nations, um, you can see how, how, much, um, how much passion that stirs. And especially if you throw uh, several um, Arab believers into the mix, but I, at, at least from my perspective, um, I would say that most of what I saw um, was, yes, a, d a definite uh, uh, sense of passion about the issues, but what really jumped out at me was an overwhelming sense on the part of most people um, to put God's priorities first. And, and for, as someone who has been part of the Messianic Jewish community from before there was a Messianic Jewish community, I can tell you that the notion of putting God first and, in our opinion, second was something that often felt like to dream an impossible dream. Um, but, yes, it was a challenge. But I, I found it wonderful, folks. Um, that God is able to bring folks who are very strong-minded and have differing opinions and bring us to a point where we recognize that the biggest priority is not getting it right, quote-unquote, but the biggest priority is understanding how God views shalom. Remember that shalom is a lot more than peace. It's relational wholeness. It's completion. Um, not only in terms of absence of bloodshed, but in terms of reconciliation. And this is something I'm seeing in our community, uh, both here and also in Israel. And so it was for me an encouragement um, to continue to press in that direction. And by the way, if you've been here for the last few Shabbatot, you'll know that the topic 
in one form or another has been unity. And unity is something uh, to a lot of people very abstract. Uh, I know this is a, a Messianic Jewish congregation, but it, um, it sometimes feels like a slippery pig um, that's, that's very, very hard, very hard to catch because we really don't, don't understand what unity is really. All right, forgive me. Um, th- thank you for that more uh, Messianic Jewish politically correct terminology. Um, but unity is such an abstract concept for, for so many of us. And I would say that the best that we are able to grasp is the fact that unity is the absence of disunity, uh, which is right, but also it, it is so such a limited part of the picture. Um, yes, Scripture gives us all kinds of instruction about our need to avoid disunity. In fact, we see that disunity is always, always, always a marker of people who are spiritually immature. That regardless of what else happens, if you see people who are duking it out, uh, they're definitely not on God's wavelength. But that's, that's the negative. Scripture has so much to say about the positive. What is unity really like? First of all, um, it's important to remember that it comes from the heart of God. Why? Because God is one, as we say at each and every Shabbat. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And as Yeshua told us over and over again, particularly in John 17, the so-called Lord's Prayer, that... Even in the, just in that passage alone, there are four times the Lord says, I pray to you, Father, that they would be one. I pray that they would be one. I pray that they would be one. I pray that you would bring into complete unity, bring them into complete unity. So this is, this is God's strategy. It's God's purpose. And we know if our nose is pointing in that direction, we know we're on the right track. Whether it feels right, whether it feels like we are making progress or not, we know that we have the Lord's smile. Unity, of course, because of that, involves selflessness. And we looked at Philippians chapter 2, where the Word of God tells us to put others' interest above our own, rather than say, this is me, uh, my strategy, my agenda, this has to happen. Instead, the Word of God says, no, put others above your of other people's agenda and other people's interests above your own, which is really, when you think about it, is very counterintuitive. Doesn't make sense, does it? Because we are basically programmed, naturally speaking, towards survival mode, which means we take care of our family and ourselves, and everything else is kind of off screen. The Word of God does a complete reversal of priorities for us and it says no what I want God says is for you to learn to be selfless just like our Messiah Yeshua was selfless so unity involves attitude attitude of 
of uh, carrying each other's burdens, as the Word of God tells us. But today, I wanted to focus on unity in practical terms, not just in terms of an attitude, but in terms of learning to build together, banding together for the common goal of building God's house, establishing a covenant community, learning to build together, to pull together, and to grow. That's what the Word of God tells us over and over again, particularly in places like Ephesians 4, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, that described us who are followers of Yeshua, who are part of a community of, of believers, a mishpacha, a family, as those who both receive according to our needs and who also contribute according to what God has given us. Both of those are absolutely essential. If we don't receive, then, then we wither. If we don't give, then we, we stagnate. We collect all this good stuff, we stagnate. So the Word of God tells us that God calls each of us to serve Him and that God calls us to serve together. And unfortunately, in our day and age that is so self-focused, self-oriented, these are very foreign concepts. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people who have said to me, I have no idea what a covenant community or a community living is all about. And in order to understand that, we simply have to see what the Word of God tells us and then park on it because it doesn't come naturally to us. I mean, the truth is you come on a given Shabbat and you worship the Lord and you hear a message and, and you visit and you fellowship and so on. But, you know, when we think of God's house, we don't think of being in someone's basement, um, you know, where you can reach and almost touch the, uh, the ceiling and so on and so forth. And so we need eyes of faith, spiritual eyes, to be able to see that. So let's pause for a minute and ask for that. Lord God, we, we do indeed ask, Lord, for eyes of faith to be able to see reality, who we are from your perspective, who you've put us, where you've put us, Lord, in a community of God's people, and to understand, Lord God, what it is that you have in mind. For us individually, for us corporately, Lord, Abba Father, you know that, that these things are so counterintuitive to us, and we pray, Lord, that you would give us the spirit of knowledge and revelation to know your will more fully, Lord, to understand more fully your plans and purposes. And we ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So part of what we saw last Shabbat is, as Rabbi David was preaching, was the summons that God gives to Israel in chapter 29 to come and do this great work. 
He says, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but it is for the Lord God. Now, again, this is so hard for us to get our arms around because when we think of magnificent structures for God, you know, we think of uh, excesses, we think of abuses, we, we think of things such as the Crystal Cathedral where, where you have uh, conspicuous consumption and um, millions of dollars poured into something that really is excessive. And so it's hard for us to get our arms around that. It's also hard for us to get our arms around it here because this is fairly basic physically. By the way, I just wanted to point out our ark, which to me is a symbol of what is coming. And I wanted to talk to you about that for just a minute and come back to Chronicles. Um, the artist that designed this he and I d discussed the fact that, that the ark had to have both, uh, first of all, an emphasis on Messiah and then also an emphasis on what is traditional uh, Jewish. And so if, if sometime after the service you can ask one of our guys such as Michael, you'll see that, that the bronze arm uh, starting from the bottom Represent, represents the, the vine. Yeshua is the vine from John 15 because he is the source. He is the one who gives us everything that we need. Um, then, of course, you have the Star of David that is divided into 12 for the purposes to, to symbolize the 12 stars, uh, the 12 tribes, rather, and then you have the, the two lions representing the Lion of Judah, and then you have the eternal lamp. But this is our expectation that at some point God will give us a building that is dedicated not so much to us, but to His purposes so that His fuller purposes would be accomplished. This is not about building, folks. It's not about bricks it is about what the building represents. It's a fact that as God develops and unfolds his plans and purposes for Yeshua Tzion, we need to be someplace that is visible, that is identifiable, that people in the community, particularly in the Jewish community, would be able to look and say, okay, here is Yeshua Tzion, and this is where these crazy people who believe in, in Jesus um, are but much more we, we long to see that building as a place from which God's larger work will be done that people would come and, and would be equipped and, and would find Yeshua in that building and so because of that we're like David King David in, in 1 Chronicles 29 where he says, with all my resources, I provided the temple of our God. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, 
Now I give my personal treasures of gold and silver, etc. We're not asking uh, that you bring your gold and silver and jewels here. That's not really the point. The point is a vision, folks. That's what really want to emphasize today. Um, that the vision of building God's house physically and spiritually is a great vision that requires passion. It requires generosity. Uh, and this is a theme that you find throughout both the construction of the tabernacle and here the construction of the temple. Amen. That God's people were seized with a passion to see to it that God's building would be properly and, and wonderfully built. Not to impress anybody, folks. But this is out of a heart for God because this is where God needs to dwell. And the physical, the, the outward, has to be gorgeous because first and foremost, the inward, the spiritual, has to be gorgeous. So here in our chapter 22, verse 5, David says the following. And by the way, he's speaking to foreigners, to Gerim, Gentiles who were living in the land who were going to be involved in the construction of the temple. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor. Why? In the sight of all the nations. In the sight of all the nations, folks. That is the purpose for which God chose Israel, is for Israel to be a sight, to be a light for the nations. And folks, whatever takes place with us at Yeshua Tzion, it isn't to impress us. It isn't really to impress other people. It simply is for us to be a place that gives God the glory and so that people see it and they're drawn first and foremost to Him. And so th this is the perspective I want to lay out before you. God's house has to be gorgeous, first of all, inwardly, spiritually. And that requires, first of all, the passion to see God's house built. And by the way, the language that we see here is language that we've seen elsewhere. We've seen that in the construction of the tabernacle. Almost, in fact, identical kind of language in Exodus 28, which we were, uh, we parked today earlier. Exodus 28, 2, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. That's in the beginning of chapter 28. That's also at the end of chapter 28. And, and that's sort of like bookends, sort of like a sandwich. Um, why the emphasis? Is it to show Israel how cool and awesome and wonderful Aaron was? No, absolutely not. It simply was to demonstrate the fact that anybody who would serve God had to be presented as someone who was who had dignity and honor. And that's a hard concept for us to understand. And by the way, the, in chapter 28 of Exodus, both the beginning and at the end, the purpose is given. 
not so that he would be able to walk down the, um, uh, what do you call it, where the models walk down and, and show his stuff. Runway, thank you. But the purpose is stated very clearly, so that he will, be a, he will serve me as a priest. And by the way, the, the word that's used there in Hebrew is an unusual word. What it literally states is, so that he can priest for me. That is why Aaron and his sons needed to have the dignity and the honor. And that is why God's house with David and God's house with us has to have the dignity and the honor. Why? Because we are his priests. Now, you may not see yourself as a priest, whether from the um, high church perspective, whether from the Jewish perspective. Um, kind of odd, but we simply have to remember what priest, what the definition of a priest is. Someone who brings... God's concerns to people and then brings people's concerns to God. Amen. And so th that is what, first of all, Moses tells Aaron and then David tells Solomon. And by the way, the people who are doing that are to be people who are generous spirit, who have a generous spirit, generous heart, and also who have the wisdom or the skill that is needed. Both of those are necessary. By the way, remember that scripturally, wisdom is not about us trying to figure things out. This wisdom scripturally, chokhmah. Can you say chokhmah? <laughs> yeah, Hebrew is very phlegmy. Chokhmah is the wisdom or the smarts that are needed to carry out not our strategy and our agenda, but God's agenda. God's agenda, folks. And then there is a related word also, phlegmy, koach, that speaks about the capacity to carry out God's work. Again, folks, it's all about God. We're here at Yeshua Tzion. We're not trying to impress anybody. And part of the picture is that we give God our best. We don't give him the leftovers. Now, uh, there's obviously on one hand, on the other hand with that. First of all, on one hand, when we have more than leftovers and we give God the leftovers, you know, he is not particularly thrilled about that. All kinds of places in Scripture that are very emphatic. In Malachi chapter 1, it puts it very, very much in the face when you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try bringing them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? And he goes on and on to blast that. And then he says, on the other hand, my name will be great among the nations. In other words, you bring generously the best that you have for God, to God because you want to see God being honored. And when God is honored, then people are drawn to him. And that really is the purpose, folks. We were not put on this earth 
in order for us to be cute and clever and do whatever it is that we felt like doing. We were put on this earth to carry out God's commission, and each one of us has a particular commission from God. Now, obviously, that's on the other hand. On the other hand, there are times when we're drained and we don't have a whole lot, and that's sort of like the widow's might. We give what, what we have, all that we have. Um, or, for instance, the boy with the loaves and fishes, and God takes the loaves and fishes and uses it to feed people. But it, it all... It all begins with us catching a vision of ownership, of, of the part that God has for us to play in the building of his house. And that is so foreign to us because either, either we feel like, well, I really couldn't be bothered. I, I'm really struggling, having a hard time, et cetera, et cetera. Or there's a sense of self-deprecation. You know, who am I? Uh, what do I have to bring to God? And the answer is zero until you learn to open yourself and say, God, the task is great. It, it is awesome. Your house has to be gorgeous. I have absolutely nothing, so you're going to have to give me what, what is needed. No problem. Begins with a vision. David has a vision, folks. I know sometimes we look at David and we're somewhat cynical. You know, we think about uh, David and Goliath. We think about uh, the battles he was involved in. And then there's a business with David and Bathsheba and Uriah. And we think to ourselves, okay, that's the end of the story. The next thing we know is that he's an old man and needs to have a, um, a warmer in, in the form of a young lady. Uh, and you say, okay... What happened to great David? He's kind of ending life with a whimper. That really is not how Scripture sees King David, folks. David is the gold standard. Bathsheba and Uriah and everything. David is the gold standard for the kings of Israel. You read First and Second Kings and 18 times it says so-and-so was wonderful, he walked in God's ways, he did what was right in God's eyes, like David his father. So God somehow was able to look at David and see something we often clearly have, have ignored. Now, uh, as you read these chapters, I'd like to encourage you to read them because we'll spend some time there. But as you read, you'll see that that the building of the temple didn't come from Solomon. The building of the temple came from David. God gave him the blueprints. He collected amazing amount of money, according to what we'll see later in this chapter. There was 100,000 talents of gold, and obviously there are all kinds of estimates of what a talent was like, but one of the estimates is that a talent of gold was 67 pounds of gold. So if you take 67 times 100,000, you're looking at 6.7 million, 6 million pounds of gold. 
David collected that and was able to give that and silver and bronze and so on. He also recruited all kinds of people to be prepared to build the temple. And yes, Solomon did part of that. But David was the guy whose heart was in it. And it began with a vision. Began with a vision. God gave him the vision. Why? Because David was a worshiper. I mean, I, I assume I'm, I'm not telling you anything profoundly new here. If you read the, the book of Psalms, David was a worshiper. So for him, a high priority was for Israel to have a special place for the worship of God. Chapter 22, verse 6 here in Chronicles, David calls his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. He said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the Lord, a house for the name of the Lord my God. And you think that God Almighty would say, yeah, David, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's get started today. But you know what God's response to him was? Not yet. And if you do the math from the time that Solomon was born until the time David was, died, you're looking at 19 years before the temple plans could be put into effect. 19 years. That's a long time to have a vision and to have to wait for God to unfold his plans and purposes. I don't know about you, that would be a pretty bitter pill. The word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed too much blood, you're not to build this house for my name, etc., etc. Was the vision from God? Yes, it was a vision from God. But it could not be implemented at this point in time because some other things had to happen. There had to be preparation. On David's part, there had to be preparation uh, with Solomon being born. So if a vision is from God, if God somehow communicates to you and gives you some kind of an inkling of what he wants you to do, trust me, it will not come about instantly. Because if a vision is from God, it has to be impossible. If you can carry it out, then it's not a vision from God. It's your vision, your shtick. And so David had to lay down this vision and somehow in the process learn to wait on God. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but you look at, at David's life in 1 Kings and it's a pretty miserable existence for those 19 years. His daughter gets raped by her brother. Another brother kills the, the rapist. The brother that killed the rapist then rebels against David, and then there's another rebellion, and then there's famine, and then there's plague. All that took place in 19 years. And during all that time, what does David do? Does he sit there and mope and say, ah, the vision couldn't, couldn't be from God. It must have been last night's pizza. But David somehow is engaged during that time 
in collecting the funds, in collecting the gold, collecting the silver, etc., and seeing to it that the plans that the Spirit of God had given him are, there is progress despite the fact that he is dealing with a real rough situation. That's why in verse 14 of chapter 22, he said, in great pain I have provided for the temple of the Lord. You see the story, David's story, and you understand the fact that it was a great pain, great affliction. And reality is, if you and I wait until life is copacetic, till everything is perfectly where we like for it to be, we would never do a single thing for God. This, this was particularly uh, brought home to me personally. Uh, came home from Bible study Wednesday night and pulled up in front of our uh, house and opened the door and was fishing around for the clicker to open the garage door and uh, the door was open and some lady comes and smashes into the door almost to the point where the door was blown off its hinges and for about half a block bits and particles of what was inside the door were scattered and at this point, uh, I've had enough of these things to where, um, I don't know, either shock or disbelief or something, or maybe, maybe a little faith somewhere. And um, I basically had the conviction that somehow, somehow God would manage to work things out. And He has. He has. And I, I sense from the Lord the next morning the emphasis from Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. A couple of things about that. First of all, seek means keep on seeking. Don't seek once and say, I'm, I'm gone, I'm out of here. Uh, and it's a command. It's a command. It doesn't say, if, if you're in a the mood, then seek God's kingdom. No. Do it. And the second part that I want to emphasize, all these things will be added. No doubt they will be added. Somehow God will see to it that you're taken care of. Now it just so happened that this was the second accident in the span of one week, also after Wednesday night prayer. And uh, so there was another scripture that came to mind to help keep me somewhat sane. Uh, we pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you will have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. I've always had a difficult time with the joyfully giving thanks to the Father. <laughs> but in any event, my, my point simply is I know that for each one of us, we can tell all kinds of other stories about the fact that life is not linear and that it, it is not smooth sailing 100% of the time. And so if we were to back up and say, I'll wait until I have everything under control, until I have things managed, you will never do 
you will do zip for the kingdom of God. And so somehow God, in the midst of that, because he, give, he first of all gives us the passion and the vision, he also gives, gives us the strength to persevere and to pursue what he's, the commission he's put before us. And so we do that. We do that. And then he gives us the necessary chokhmah, the, the wisdom to carry things out, and the koach, the power. And that's our commitment here at Yeshua Tzion, folks, that what God has given us, the vision that God has given us, will be passed on to the next generation. It has to, if it's God's vision. And the fullness of what God has in mind for us may not happen in our lifetime with some of us old folks. But we're anticipating in faith that God will complete what He has begun with us now and into the next generations. And by the way, when you see our youth, uh, some of whom are here, you guys need to hear that and pass it on to your buddies. This is not our vision. It's God's vision. If it is God's vision, it will be transmitted to you guys and you guys will carry out His vision. Amen. Now one more thing. David says to Solomon, may the Lord be with you and may you have success. Build the house of the Lord your God. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding. This is a later part of chapter 22 here. That you will have success if, you careful, if you're careful to follow the decrees and the laws the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong. Chazak. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Now, as you look at this and compare other scriptures, you see how amazingly they resemble other places in scripture. And particularly Joshua chapter 1 where the language is almost identical. Where the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And by the way, you follow the guidebook scrupulously. The guidebook that I gave you and the phrase that Elaine mentioned earlier, la'asot, tishmor la'asot, be careful, be diligent to carry it out. And then the Lord says, then you will have success. In other words, you're not going to be uh, pursuing dead ends. You're not going to be banging your head against the wall. If you do that, if you are scrupulous and, and diligent in following God's plans and God's strategy by His power, power of the Spirit, then you will have success because it's about Him. It's about Him. And yes, folks, reality is that we do get discouraged, we get downhearted, we get tired. There are parts of us that want to bail, but we don't. We don't. Why? Because our confidence is not in ourselves or other people. Our confidence is in the Lord. We're banding together for the common goal of building God's house. Establishing a covenant community. Looking to 
And, and God's house, folks, has to be gorgeous. And I'm not talking about the physical accoutrements. I'm talking about how it's presented, first of all, in the spirit, in our attitude towards one another, and then as God enables us to do beautiful things, then we do them because it's for His glory. Begins with His vision. And yes, sometimes it seems like there's a long lag period before the vision comes into fruition. And we can grumble at the Lord, which we do. Or put our confidence in Him and say, Lord, You've given me a commission. I want to pursue that commission. I want to carry out what you have. I want to see you be honored in this process. I want to see people who need to hear, who need to draw to you, who need to receive eternal life and come to the kingdom. I want to see that happen. Not about me. It's all about you. Chazak. Let's be strong in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we are absolutely humbled that you would choose us to be your servants. We acknowledge, Lord God, that we are absolutely unworthy, that we bring zero to the table, that all that we have, Lord God, comes because you have given it to us. And so because of that, we depend upon you, Lord, to continue to provide fully so that we would be properly equipped for every good work, Lord. Everything, Lord God, that pleases you. And Lord God, that you would receive much honor and glory and that people would look and see you in this process and would be drawn to you, Lord. That's our heart's desire, Lord God. Give us the zeal for your house. We ask this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.